false teachings in the church as we continue our foundation Bible class lesson 15. We left off uh, uh, last week uh, speaking concerning the reformed faith that uh, the saving faith consists of three factors. The knowing of the word of God, noticia, the agreeing of the word of God, the essentials, and the willingness to obey the word of God, fudisha. And we quoted Romans 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus as Saviour, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We said that salvation, saving faith, is not only intellectual of the mind, but must be volitional of the heart. And the salvation equation is not faith plus works equal to salvation, nor faith equal to salvation minus works, but faith equal to salvation plus works. Now we quoted Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And James 2 verse 18 and 20, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. But thou, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Ephesians uh, James 2, verses 18 and 20. So we saw the salvation equation of the Roman Catholic Church. Salvation equal to faith plus works. Uh, uh, baptism, uh, church membership, that's false. Uh. Salvation comes by faith only. Uh, but we need to add to faith this works. That's the true uh, understanding. Uh, and we also... Uh, mention who is Jesus Christ. And we were speaking concerning the, the Apollinarians. Uh, uh, kindly note uh, what we mentioned, that uh, they, were, they have a 50% human nature and 100% uh, divine nature. Uh, it was condemned by the Council of Constantinople in 381 uh, AD. Uh, it's because uh, the 50% of the human nature, uh, 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 they believe that Jesus is without a human mind. Uh, Jesus is without a human mind. So attack is on the person of Christ, on his humanity, uh, that he doesn't have a human mind, that he's fully a divine mind. Uh, that's not true. Right? Uh, Jesus is both 100% human and 100% divine. And... Then there is the Nestorians, which we saw the last time, condemned by the council at Ephesus in 431 BC uh, uh, because they believed that uh, Jesus is both 100% man, 100% uh, God, but uh, the human person and the divine person are two separate persons. Uh, two separate persons. Uh, but the Word of God says that there is not two separate persons, uh, uh, but uh, Jesus is one person, uh, 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 the eternal uh, Son of God. 
and so kindly uh, 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 make a, a correction there. Uh, Christ is one person with a fully divine nature and a fully human nature, and his natures are without mix, without change, without division, without separation. So we said that he is 100% God, 100% man. We said also that he is the sinless Christ, uh, quoting 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, and Hebrews 4, 16, 14-16. And then we also mentioned how he, uh, the satisfaction, substitution, propitiation work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. Right, the doctrine of the atonement, uh, seen as a satisfaction. Right, Christ's uh, uh, atonement on the cross, uh, by, offered by his shed blood, satisfied the demands of God's holy law. And therefore, when we come to him, uh, men who have broken the holy law of God, where the penalty of such sin is death, Christ on the cross bore the penalty rightly due to us for our sins. And this is taught in many passages of Scripture. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And therefore, when we would repent of our sins and come to Him, we receive forgiveness of sins. And so we mentioned genuine forgiveness would necessarily involve substitutional bearing of the sin forgiven. And since the crucifixion of Christ is to be taken as the all-inclusive, all-representative act of sin, therefore Christ died for our sin in our place as our substitute. We should justly have been swept into the lake of fire, but upon the cross, uh, he said to the angels, destroy not them, Father, forgive them. He was dying in our place. And so you see the three pictures there, uh, or the two pictures that is uh, given there, uh, that, uh, that the, the house of God's people who... Uh, obey the laws of God rightly, uh, rightly uh, has the Bible as the basis, uh, has the Bible as the basis of our, uh, of our uh, faith. Right? Uh, Psalm 11, verse 3, and if, Ephesians 2, verse 20. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we are... Our faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the Bible itself, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Being the chief cornerstone. And so, uh, when we have belief, faith in the word of God, the Bible, uh, that's where we form our theology. Uh, our doctrines are based upon uh, God's word, and that, and from there, we derive our practice. So the word of God 
uh, says to us, Take heed therefore unto thyself, unto the doctrine, continuing them. For in doing this, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. So we uh, teach the word of God, the doctrines that God uh, has given us from his word, that we may not deviate and depart from it. In these recent uh, days, uh, the last 100 years or so, uh, we see the charismatic movement uh, coming, rising up uh, in the church scene. And the charismatic movement bases its, uh, its uh, faith uh, on experience and not on the Word of God. And that's the difference. Right? You see there our chart, uh, gives you, the picture gives you a, a, in page 5 a different uh, uh, an understanding. Right? The basis of the charismatic faith is their experience. So they would tell you that I had a dream, God spoke to me. Uh, God spoke to me. I had a vision. Uh, this is what God is saying to me. Right? by their experience, by their senses. Uh, so we said that this is called, also called the signs and wonders movement. Right? And so uh, men would call themselves apostles. Uh, uh, and it, it, this is a different gospel. It's a feel-good gospel, uh, feel-good in every way. Uh, no one to rebuke you, uh, but rather uh, it flatters your ego health and wealth and prosperity and success. But this is not uh, what God teach in His Word. And the Lord wants us to know, uh, and from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 8 to 10, it tells us, right, uh, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What does the scripture teach about the gifts of prophecy, of tongues and of knowledge? In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 to 10 and verse 12, well, it has been misinterpreted right, in the light of Acts 2, verse 4, 7 to 8 and 11. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, uh, speaks concerning the description of the importance of love that surpasses faith and hope. And uh, it is there even when eternity begins. Uh, there is no need for faith and hope in heaven, but only love endures. And one may have the gift of prophecies and tongues and knowledge, but... The Apostle Paul here is exhorting uh, uh, the church right, to uh, that faith, hope and love are the more important virtues to cultivate and love is the one that would endure to eternity and not be carried away with this uh, self-imposed, self-given uh, uh, Gifts of prophecies, tongues and knowledge that are temporary gifts right, that God uh, gave before the Bible was completed. Uh, 
But after the word of God is completed, uh, these temporary gifts will cease. There are three words in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 that helps us to see and learn uh, that that, uh, these prophecies, these tongues and this knowledge have ceased. Uh, The word prophecy there uh, is linked to the word uh, fail. Uh, Prophecies will fail. uh, And and here, uh, the word uh, described there uh, is in the in the passive, future passive, uh, uh, speaking uh, that it will fail by itself. Uh, it will go away by itself. Once the word of God is completed, then there's no need for these uh, prophecies. Uh, prophecies, and then there is tongues. Uh. These tongues is quite different from what we understand as the charismatic tongues. Right? Uh, the tongues in the Bible, uh, the word glossa, uh, speaks of known languages. Known languages. It's not gibberish. Uh, not gibberish. And so, if there be tongues, it shall cease. Uh, cease. The word is future. The, the, the grammar is future, middle. In other words, it will cease by itself. It will cease by itself. Nothing acting upon it. Uh, and so the Lord wants us to see, uh, and the, the phrase there in First uh, uh, Corinthians uh, thirteen verse ten that says that that which is perfect, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is uh, in part shall be done away. The word perfect uh, uh, here uh, is in what we call in the Greek, the neuter tense. In the Greek, there are three genders, uh, feminine, uh, masculine, and neuter. And this word perfect is in the neuter gender. Uh, It means to be completed. Uh, It means to be fulfilled. Uh, The word in neuter gender uh, refers to the word of God. Uh, God's word is, is is in the neuter uh, gender, but there are those who interpret as the perfect is come to the second coming of Christ. But if you uh, interpret that as a second coming of Christ, then the gender there should be feminine, feminine. But it's, the gender there is neuter, uh, neuter. It doesn't refer to the second coming of Christ. And then uh, there are uh, those who uh, apply it. Uh, Differently, uh, differently, uh, to uh, but here you can see that the context tells us it speaks. It, it talk about the word, the word of God. Talk about prophecies. Talk about tongues. Talk about knowledge. Uh, so, uh, what is this perfect? Well, uh, here the word perfect uh, aptly uh, should be used to describe the completed canonical. Uh, revelation of the Word of God. Uh, the completely preserved Word is in the neuter gender. So the Word of God was completed when the Apostle Paul, or when the Apostle John uh, completed the book of Revelation in around AD 100. And this is the last book 
of the Bible. And he described in Revelation 22, verse 18 to 19, says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man add unto these things, God will shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. This verse alludes also to the sufficiency of scriptures. The Christian seek no other knowledge outside the word of God for doctrine and practice. So the word for book is biblion, which is the neuter gender. And it is used with the word perfect, uh, which is also in the neuter gender. So it agrees grammatically. If new revelation continues to be given by God today, then the admonition will not be given of adding and subtracting to the prophecies of God. For it is precisely what the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and also the Mormons are doing, saying, Thus saith the Lord in this dream or in this new revelation of God, so that individuals receive uh, what they receive individually are treated as part of holy scriptures. Uh, 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 what they believe that they receive from God is also sacred. Uh, so who is the yardstick? What is the yardstick? Uh, it leads to great confusion, a great confusion. But the revelation of God is completed with the book of Revelation. All 66 books of the Bible have been completed. There's no more addition in the testimony uh, because the testimony is completed awaiting the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 22 verse 20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, uh, come, Lord Jesus. Furthermore, we said that the word, uh, the word perfect, being an adjective, is used together with a noun to describe the noun and must grammatically agree with the noun in gender, number, and case. So, as you look at it, uh, you realize uh, that uh, uh, this word there that means perfect, uh, it means uh, complete. Finished, uh, no, not nothing wanting. Uh, it is used 17 times in the New Testament. None of the occurrence refer to the second coming of Christ. Uh, four times it refers to the perfect uh, word of God, the perfect will of God, Romans 12 verse 2. The perfect work, count, cultivating the virtue of patience, the perfect gift from God, James 1 verse 17, and the perfect law of liberty uh, is the word of God. So there is indeed a concrete use of the word perfect referring to the word of God in which uh, the context in James 1 verse 22 to 25 show the word of God like a, a mirror. Right? The phrase face to face shows the direct revelation of God to men like in the case of Moses, where God spoke directly to him. And so we see that the cessation of tongues uh, is described by the word, which means to cease, uh, cease. Uh, the Greek 
middle voice represents the subject as participating in the results of the action, which means tongues will stop by itself. Tongues are given as sign gifts to authenticate the gospel to unbelievers. It will cease once it has achieved once it has achieved its purpose at the completion of the canon of scriptures. In Acts verse 2, chapter 2, verse 4, the congregation residing at the upper room were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The tongues, the word glossa, as we mentioned, refers to foreign languages not learned through natural means by the speaker. A linguistic gift was given to the disciples as a signed gift to authenticate the gospel message which Peter preached to the international community of Jews that was congregating there in Jerusalem. So our text tells us, uh, and uh, what Peter preached to us is to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The tongues do not refer to unknown supernatural language which is used to praise God, which is the phenomenon of modern tongues. Right? So there is a hermeneutical error there. And in the book uh, by Basham right, uh, that, uh, that, that teaches this, uh, the, word, uh, the, the word tongue uh, is misinterpreted. Uh, misinterpreted. So uh, the Lord wants us to see and learn. Uh, the church is to be filled uh, not with people speaking uh, those tongues which we, which we cannot understand. Right? Uh, the church is to fill, not to be filled with carnality and disorder as a result of false tongues, but it is emphasized that it is better to preach the word the word of God, the prophecies that edifies the church rather than speak in tongues that is not understood. So, uh, what does it mean here? Well, when something is to be spoken, it must uh, edify. The word edify means it, it, it should be understood, uh, able to build up one's faith, uh, uh, to be understood, to build up one's faith. And so, we... Uh, pray that the Lord would uh, help us to see and learn and to know that indeed uh, uh, the tongues that we see in the charismatic movement are not uh, truly uh, from the Lord. And then there is the Roman Catholicism, which we see in page 9 of our, our notes. In the Church of Rome, faith is based upon the authority of a man, the Pope, and the traditions of men, namely the opinions of former theologians such as the fathers of the church. So in Roman Catholicism, uh, Christianity is the doctrines and practices of men. In Protestantism, Christianity is the doctrines of Christ as revealed to us, not by fallible men, but by the infallible Bible. So Protestantism holds that the Bible alone is the authoritative and sufficient rule of faith and practice. But Romanism, the Roman Catholic Church, holds that the Bible must be supplemented by a whole great body of traditions, consists of 15, 14 to 15 other apocryphal books or portions of books 
equivalent to about two-thirds of the volume of the New Testament. So the voluminous writings of the Greek and Latin church fathers and a huge collection of church council pronouncement and paper decrees are of equal value and authority uh, to the Word of God. So as the Roman Catholicism works out in actual practice, the traditions of the church at any time are what the church says they are. Scripture means what the church says it means, and the people are permitted to read the Bible only in an approved version within the limits of a predetermined interpretation. But when the Christian message is thus shackled by tradition and ecclesiastically dictated interpretation, it ceases to be the free grace of God offered to repentant sinners and become an instrument in the hands of the clergy for the control of the people. In professing to interpret the Bible in the light of tradition, the Roman Catholic Church, according to Lorraine Bodner, uh, here, uh, it says here, in professing to interpret the Bible in the light of tradition, the Roman Church, in reality, places tradition above the Bible. So that the Roman Catholic Roman Catholic is governed not by the Bible, but by the Bible and tradition, by the church itself, which set up the traditions and says what it means. So theoretically, the, church, the Roman church accepts the Bible, but in practice, it does not leave her members free to follow it. So the errors that are found in her traditions obscure and nullify much of the truth that she professes to hold. To cite but one example of what it means in actual practice, while the Roman Catholic Church, in professing allegiance to the Bible, must agree with the Protestant churches that there is one mediator also between God and man, himself man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she introduces a host of other mediators, the Virgin Mary, the priest, and hundreds of saints and angels, which effectively sets aside the truth contained in the Scripture statement. So we have uh, listed here a list of uh, Roman Catholic heresies and inventions and the dates of their adoption is given over the 1,600, uh, 500 years. Right? It began in the AD 300 with the prayers for the dead, the making the sign of the cross, AD 300, the same time as the prayers of the dead. Then there is a wax candles, veneration of angels and dead saints and the use of images in 375 AD, the Mass as a daily celebration in 394, the exhortation of Mary as the Mother of God in AD 431, priests began to dress differently from laymen, AD 500, extreme unction, 526, the doctrine of purgatory in 593, the Latin language used in prayer and worship, 600 AD, Prayers directed to Mary, the dead saints and angels, 600 AD. Title of Pope or Universal Bishop given to Boniface III by the Emperor Pocus in 607. Kissing the Pope's foot began with Pope Constantine in 709. Temporal power of Popes and conferred by Pepin, King of Franks in 750. Worship of the cross, images and relics. Authorized 786. 
holy water mixed with a pinch of salt, blessed by a priest, 850. Worship of St. Joseph, 890. College of Cardinals, established 927. Baptism of Bells, instituted by Pope John XIII, 965. Canonization of dead saints, first by John, Pope John fifteen. 995 BC, fasting on Fridays during Lent, 998. The Mass developed gradually as a sacrifice, attendance made obligatory in the 11th century. Celibacy of the priesthood, in other words, the priest cannot get married, lead to many, uh, many problems uh, within the Roman Catholic Church. The use of rosary, a rosary, mechanical praying with beads, invite invented by Peter the Hermit in 1090 AD. The Inquisition in, in, instituted by the Council of Verona, 1184. Sales of Indulgence, 1190. Transubstantiation, uh, transubstantiation which we, uh, we, uh, we learn, uh, proclaimed by uh, Pope Innocent III. In other words, uh, the, the, the elements that we use for the Lord's Supper becomes the real blood and the real body of Christ. That's not uh, the truth that is taught. Auricular confession of sins to the priest instead of to God, uh, instituted by Pope Innocent III in the Lateran Council in 1215 AD. And then there is also the adoption of the wafer decreed by Pope Honorus III, 1220 and then Bible forbidden to laymen, placed on the index of forbidden books by the Council of Toulouse in 1229. Then there is the scapula invented by Simon Stock, in, an English monk in 1251. The cup forbidden to the people at the communion by Council of Constance 1414. Purgatory proclaimed as a Dogma, in other words, you pay uh, indulgences uh, uh, and then the priest would pray for the person uh, who goes to a, a person dies and goes to that halfway house uh, between hell or between heaven and hell. Uh, there's no such thing as uh, purgatory, the Bible doesn't taught that. The doctrine of the seven sacraments affirmed in 1439 uh, that you need to follow these seven sacraments for your salvation. Uh, and so there are many more. The infallibility of the Pope in matters of faith and morals, proclaimed by the Vatican Council in 1870. Uh, assumption of Virgin Mary, bodily ascension into heaven shortly after her death, proclaimed by Pope Pius XII in 1950. Mary proclaimed Mother of the Church by Pope John VI, 1965. Add to these many others, monks, nuns, monasteries, convents, 40-day Lent, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, All Saints Day, Candle Mass Day, Fish Day, Meat Days, Sands, Incense, Holy Oil, Holy Palms, Christopher Meadows, Charms, Novenas, and still others. So here we see there is the steady uh, increasing departure 
from the simplicity of the gospel. And this departure was so radical and far-reaching that at the present time it produced a drastically uh, anti-evangelical church. It is clearly beyond possibility of doubt that the Roman Catholic religion as now practiced is the outgrowth of centuries of error. Human inventions have been substituted for <clears throat> Bible truth and practices. Intolerance and arrogance have replaced the love and kindness of, and tolerance that were the distinguishing qualities of the first century Christians. So that now in Roman Catholic countries, Protestants and others who are sincere believers in Christ but who do not acknowledge the authority of the Pope are subject to all kinds of restrictions and in some cases even forbidden to practice, forbidden to practice their religion. The distinctive attitude of the present-day church was fixed largely by the Council of Trent, 1545 to 1563, with more than a hundred anathemas or curses pronounced against all who then or in the future would dare to defer with its decisions. Uh, and then there is the, the, the Jehovah Witness and the Seventh-day Adventist, which we, we shall... Uh, look at it the next time. May the Lord help us. Let us pray. Father, we pray and ask that Thou would grant us Thy grace to understand Thy holy word, to understand uh, the truth from error and help us to uh, live a separated life for Thy own honour and glory. This I pray with thanksgiving through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.